Ayurveda. It might sound strange, but what it really means is the knowledge of life. And for 5,000 years, people have used Ayurvedic medicine to care for themselves. It's all about knowing why you are who you are and applying that knowledge to your everyday life. Today, we are joined again by Dr. Colreet Chaudhary. Last time she joined us, we talked about our book, Sound Medicine. Today, we'll dive deep into another one of her specialties, which is Ayurvedic medicine. We'll talk about what type of dosha you are, what that means in your life, and how you can make changes to improve your health. We'll also cover the Ayurvedic therapies that have been healing people for thousands of years. Welcome to Be Healthistic, the podcast that's more than just health and wellness information. It's here to help you explore your options across traditional and natural medicine so that you can make informed decisions for you and your family. This podcast illuminates the whole story about holistic health by providing access to the expertise of Drs. Steve and Drew Sinatra, who together have decades of integrative health experience. Be Healthistic is powered by our friends at Healthy Directions. Now, let's join our hosts. Hi, folks. If you like what you hear today and you want to listen to future conversations on all things integrative and holistic health, subscribe to our podcast at BeHealthisticPodcast.com. Also, check out and subscribe to the Healthy Directions YouTube channel, which features video versions of our episodes plus extra videos you won't want to miss. And finally, we have more with me, Dr. Drew Sinatra, my dad, Dr. Steve Sinatra, and other health experts at HealthyDirections.com. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Be Healthistic. Today, we have Dr. Colreet Chaudhary back on the show. She first joined us for the discussion on sound medicine, and today we're going to be talking about Ayurvedic medicine. Dr. Chaudhary has a very distinctive set of specialties. Her combined expertise in both modern neurology and the ancient science of health known as Ayurveda has uniquely positioned her as an expert able to utilize a wide range of strategies to treat her patients. Like me and my dad, who are strong believers in integrative medicine, she's passionate about raising awareness for the need of a paradigm shift in contemporary healthcare that focuses on patient empowerment and a health-based rather than disease-based medical system. Dr. Chaudhary has appeared on various media outlets where her teachings about Ayurvedic medicine have been applauded by a national audience, and now we get to learn from her today. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. Oh, this is going to be so great. I mean, last time we dove in about sound medicine, your new book, and I learned a lot about mantras and other forms of sound medicine. And today we're going to teach our listeners all about Ayurvedic medicine. So I'm excited. I'm excited to share. Well, where do you want to jump in with this? I mean, do you want to talk about some of the basic principles with Ayurvedic medicine, perhaps also how long it's been practiced for and really where it came from? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think a lot of people when they first hear Ayurveda, they go, oh, that sounds foreign. You know, that's something that is going to be super strange. And Ayurveda actually just translates into the science of life or the knowledge of life. And so there's really kind of no approach that is more natural because it's it's just a way of studying who you are. And the great gift that I have seen with Ayurvedic medicine is it gives us a roadmap into why we are the way we are, both physically as well as psychologically. And as people begin to understand their makeup, they're able to better, you know, they're able to make better decisions regarding their their mental health as well as their physical health. So, you know, you, you said, where did it come from? 
This particular line of medicine came from India. It's over 5,000 years old. We don't know exactly how old because uh, we know that there's 5,000 years worth of written records, but it was an oral tradition. So we don't really know how old it is. But what's interesting to me is that, you know, when we look at other cultures, they had very similar medical systems to Ayurveda. So I, you know, my theory is that there was a time on planet Earth where this is how we practice medicine. And I wouldn't even call it medicine because this was really just how we lived in balance hmm. with nature. And that this existed in multiple cultures, because, you know, when I looked at this on a global level, I was like, wait a minute, there's similar practices in ancient Russia, there's similar practices, you know, in Latin America, the shamanic traditions, you know, are very, very similar. And so Ayurveda is just the lineage that seems to have lasted the longest, you know, on earth. And the fundamental pr principle is really, you know, disease is a result mainly um, of lifestyle choices. There's a very small percentage that's genetic, but it's mainly lifestyle choices. And that's exactly what we're finding out now in modern medicine. And that food is medicine, you know, and that plants can be medicine. And so it really looks at the natural world as your, your, your medical pathway into health. I, can you speak more about the studying who we are? I really like that piece. Well, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I'm so happy you asked that question. So this is a very common experience. And I had this experience too, when I first was introduced to it as a physician. You know, I think there's so many things about ourselves that we tend to judge, you know, oh, I'm neurotic, or oh, I'm just a jerk, or, you know, oh, I, I get angry easily. And what we don't realize is that those are actually tendencies that have both a physical basis as well as a psychological basis, but that this connection between the mind and the body is so interconnected that you can shift, you know, even psychological tendencies towards things like, by things like diet and so forth. And so when I say like who we are, it's, it's why like, you know, when you did the diet that your best friend did, it totally didn't work for you. Or when you exercised, you know, like your spouse did, um, you know, it actually hurt your body. It's understanding your individual composition. And in Ayurveda, we call these mind-body types as doshas. So, Kolri, what are the three main doshas and how do you find out which one you are? So the three main doshas are vata, pitta, and kapha. And, you know, the best way to find out your dosha really is to see an Ayurvedic practitioner simply because Sometimes there's a combination of doshas that can be out of balance, but if you're not, if you don't have access to an Ayurvedic practitioner, there is so much that just in reading about the doshas, you can identify aspects of yourself, you know, um, and be able to identify which one you most closely represent. And I believe you guys are actually going to put a link to the dosha quiz that I have on my website. And that's just a really simple tool where you can go through the questions and it gives you kind of an insight into this dosha or these two doshas are most heavily present inside of you. And when you understand what your dosha is, you can make choices that are appropriate for you and not just choices that people say are appropriate for the, the masses. And Drew, one of my favorite examples is somebody who is a vata dosha, when they do a raw food diet, their health completely collapses. And so if you, under, <laughs> you, know, if you understand that you're a vata dosha, you would know, oh, this is not working for me. 
you know, and so, or somebody who's a pitta who loves spicy food, when you do some of these like weight loss measures where they're adding a bunch of heating foods, well, they end up gaining weight. So mm. it's just understanding like what choices are appropriate for you and what your internal biochemical triggers are for your psyche as well. Well, speaking of the doshas, you mentioned vada, you mentioned pita, and now the third one's kapha. Can you can you right. speak more to those in general and sort of their general their characteristics? Absolutely. So in Ayurveda, we look at you know kind of all of matter, including the human body, being composed of these five elements. You know, space, air, fire, water, and earth. And the doshas are combinations of those elements. So vata is space and air, and that's why vata tends to be you know, smaller build, um, thinner boned, they tend to have, you know, very sensitive digestion, can have things like uh, gas resulting easily, can suffer from insomnia. Pitta is a combination of fire and water. And so, as you can imagine, they tend to be, you know, their temperament tends to run a little bit more heated, they tend to be very, very passionate, very driven. They are oftentimes, you know, at risk for the itises, all the inflammatory conditions and skin conditions. And uh, they tend to be like more moderate build. And these are the people who are like, they have very good, you know, muscle definition. It, you know, it always used to annoy me because my, my husband, like he has a pit the body type and he just naturally has muscle. Like he will pick up a glass of water and get toned, uh, <laughs> you know, and I had more of the Vata build. It's like, I, I could exercise all day long and I would build like maybe a strand of muscle, but you know, like that is actually my, my build. And so now I've come to respect that. And Kafa is the bigger build. It's a combination of water and earth. And so these are people who are naturally built bigger. And even when they're completely in balance, they're not going to be a size four. And so it's really important to understand that about them. And, but, you know, when they're out of balance, um, they can tend to be overweight or for formation of tumors or things like diabetes or sinus congestion. And so once you understand what your main dosha is, and most people have some kind of combination, and of course it changes like over a lifetime and it changes seasonally because we interact with nature and we change over time. But once you understand just like these three tendencies, then it's much easier to understand like, why do I feel different in the summertime, which is predominantly pitha season versus winter? Or why did, you know, especially for women, why is my body changing so much after, you know, menopause? Because all of a sudden, vata starts to come up. Well, I was going to ask you that because I was thinking to myself, okay, is someone always a vata or are they always a pitta or are they always a kapha? Uh, and then I guess when you look at someone, you're, you're sort of saying, okay, well, they have some vata qualities. They might have some pitta tendencies. And that's kind of what you do. You sort of look at all aspects of those doshas and then kind of figure out like this person's more predominant in this one. Yeah. So we, we're actually born with like one or two doshas being predominant. But I mean, if you think about your own life, are you the same as when you were a teenager? I mean, didn't life kind of change certain things about your body and mind? So mm -hmm. what happens over time is that our, our environment also starts to carve out, you know, certain things in us physically, as well as, you know, psychologically. But those underlying tendencies are still there. But now, for example, you know, with the amount of um, technology that, you know, kids are on, so many kids have vata imbalances, even if that wasn't their underlying dosha. Mm. So our world definitely does influence us. And, you know, what's amazing because I, I, I almost 
every single woman I've seen like go through menopause, one of the biggest things that they struggle with is weight gain. But that is actually a kapha imbalance because they did not have their excess, you know, vata and pitta like removed or brought into balance right before menopause. And so some of these imbalances come out as a secondary imbalance. And so if you treat the underlying condition, and as I was saying for women in menopause, it would be reduce the vata and pitta, they won't gain the weight and their weight will actually start to come down without all of that crazy exercise and dieting. You know, not that I think you shouldn't be eating healthy, but you know, when, when you're trying to treat the secondary imbalance first, it's a complete uphill climb. So when you're with someone one-on-one, how, how quickly are you able to decide what dosha they are predominantly? <laughs> now it's pretty fast, but you know, this is after seeing, I mean, gosh, I, I mean, over 10,000 patients. Now it's pretty fast because there's certain things that you notice immediately about their body. There are certain things that you can tell about their speech, how they interact with you. I'm at a point now that, you know, because usually we also check the pulse in Ayurvedic medicine, Mm -hmm. um, that by the time I've looked at the person's questionnaire and then physically just looked at their picture, I'm at a point where I don't feel anything different in the pulse. You get a very, very, very strong feeling. But the fun part, and this is the part that I really love, is figuring out why do they have their imbalance? So, you know, clearly there are food choices that they're making. There's, you know, usually issues in terms of exercise and sleep, but that's the easy part. But the fun part is really figuring out like what has been some of the emotional trauma in their life and what are some of the psychological blocks that also manifest as an imbalance. And when I get to work with people and help you know, to release them from that, I mean, it's, it's really nothing short of magic because you see the body completely shift as the traumas are released. We'll speak more to that, that I'm very interested in. Well, so I'm thinking of one patient in particular, she always comes to mind. I have so many wonderful, wonderful stories of patients who've gone through this. This is a patient with rheumatoid arthritis. And, you know, I always start with first balancing the body because if you don't balance the body, emotional trauma is very difficult to release. Um, And so we had spent, you know, I think it was the first like six to nine months roughly where we were detoxifying the body, bringing the doshas into balance. I was teaching her how to eat, you know, getting her on a better um, sleep cycle, all of the basic stuff. And then we started to finally be able to get into some of the deeper things. And as we started to do that work, and, you know, this involves a combination of things, things that I'm feeling, you know, in my interaction with her, things that are coming up in the pulse. And also, you know, starting um, patients on a meditation program. And we did this one cleanse for the liver. And after the cleanse, she said, oh, my God. She said, my my parents, they never wanted me. Like, I was an unwanted child. And just that realization, she said, you know, it's not that I haven't known that, but there's just this, like, visceral acceptance that they were in an unhappy marriage I was an unplanned pregnancy and the strain that my birth had on their marriage, you know, that got translated into literally like I picked that up and absorbed that on a cellular level. And in the next few months, we worked on helping to release that trauma and including, you know, things like EMDR, like um, certain Mm -hmm. psychotherapy methods that I find are extraordinary. 
within two months of her coming to that realization and then helping her to uproot that trauma, she was just a completely different person. Like the pain in her body was no longer there. Now, granted, she had done the physical work, but it was when we did the psychological work that some, some deep internal block finally released. And in Ayurveda, what we say is these emotional blocks actually block the flow of energy to the organs. And when there's a blocked flow of energy, the body doesn't know how to heal itself. Mm-hmm. And so those, when we hit that point, and that's always my, my goal for patients who want to go that far, because it is a difficult journey and you need to make sure that you have the support in your life to do it. But when we hit kind of like those epiphanies, well, that's really kind of like, I feel like the soul work that Ayurvedic medicine was really developed for, like beyond just healing the body. When you start to really develop, you know, start to develop techniques for healing the heart and yes. the mind, it's just, it's so deeply fulfilling. That is the most fulfilling part of medicine that I'm finding too. It's, uh, it's just challenging sometimes to get there. <laughs> it's very um, challenging, but that's, that's why, you know, I, I rely so heavily um, for the first stage of it on the physical tools, because usually when the physical body does get more balanced, then they're, they automatically start to dive into that material. They can't help it because it's just the next spontaneous level of healing that happens. Well, as you're saying all these things, I'm, I'm almost feeling overwhelmed thinking about how many factors could be at play with someone's health and looking at their doshas and everything. Let's just say, let's say this woman that came into you with rheumatoid arthritis How did you know where to go first with her? I mean, is it always working on more the physical body first, like, you know, with foods and lifestyle stuff? I mean, how do you how do you begin this process with someone? I always do, Drew. I always work on the physical body first. I think you're asking too much from somebody to go into these deeper areas until the physical body is stronger. I see that in my own journey, you know, that until my physical body got stronger, I wasn't able to really look at, you know, my own kind of emotional blocks. And for me, it's a really, really simple system. And I know it sounds complicated, but if you ask any of my patients, they'll always say like, I didn't even know I was working on the psychology until it just spontaneously started coming up. But my first step is always heal the gut. Always, Mm. always, always heal the gut first. And that's one of the basic tenets of Ayurvedic medicine that when you have a strong gut, and I'm talking about the physical gut, when you have a strong, it's called Agni or digestive fire, you're able to start to burn up old toxins, both physical and emotional. So I always begin with that. And then as their digestion becomes stronger, then I start working on, you know, like their, their daily routine. When are they eating their biggest meal? When are they going to sleep? Because once you get in sync with like your circadian rhythms, now you have your entire body is just trying to support your well-being. And that's like having a walking pharmacy working on your behalf like every second of the day. So that's always my approach is like get back into your natural daily routine and, you know, heal the gut. And then the next steps almost, they honestly start to happen spontaneously. And that's usually the point where I start to bring in like a meditation practice, you know, using typically um, mantra meditation, um, as we talked about, you know, when we talked about sound therapy, and then it it just, it becomes very spontaneous. And the thing is for people who aren't ready to take the next step, that's okay. That's when they stop. And usually they'll come back to it in one or two years when they have the support in their life to take that step. Now, for the gut healing that you mentioned, is that going to change depending on someone's dosha or is there like kind of a a similar protocol, so to speak, that you're going to use for most people? 
Yeah, you're you're so intuitive. Um, so it's it's both. It's very dosha specific, um, but then there's some core things that we tell all of you know our patients to do. Like there's certain foods that nobody's really going to tolerate on a regular basis. You know things like caffeine or alcohol or processed foods. So for every patient, I always have them move towards more of a whole food diet, heavily plant based, and that doesn't mean that they don't eat meat but that the majority of their plate should be filled with vegetables. And we slowly work them up so that they're eating a naturally high dietary fiber, you know, diet, but it's all according to their dosha. So what a high fiber diet might look for a pitta patient may be very different than um, a vata patient and a vata patient would need to add in like more grains than a kapha patient. So there's those little kinds of tweaks. I see. Okay. Okay. And then I guess comparing this to functional slash integrative slash naturopathic medicine, you know, probiotics play a major role with gut health um, in, mm-hmm. in the West. What's the role of probiotics with Ayurvedic medicine? Is, is there a role? So um, first of all, in Ayurvedic medicine, and you know, Ayurveda was one of the inspirations for functional medicine and uh, many naturopathic schools include um, information about Ayurveda. So Ayurveda has been an inspiration for a lot of natural traditions um, just because it's been around for so long. But in Ayurvedic medicine, I always look at probiotics as like sending Girl Scouts into world, you know, world war. Like you've got to prepare the environment for these probiotics to survive. Mm -hmm. And so the first step is always, reducing the inflammation, you know, and making sure that your diet provides prebiotic fiber to, you know, create a healthy home for these probiotics. And then I'm a big believer in, um, you know, using natural probiotics. And so in Ayurvedic medicine, we typically recommend um, a drink called lassi, which is, it's just a spoonful Mm. of yogurt Mm -hmm. in water with some digestive spices. And you drink that at lunchtime. And so I think it's really important for you to know that your probiotics are alive and that's hard to do, you know, sometimes when they've just been on the counter for X number of years. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's having a, you know, literally a living relationship with your probiotics, but you have to first make sure that your gut will support their habitat. Yeah, that's such an important piece. And I think also, too, I love the fact that you're working on the diet first and really focusing on the gut because... What frustrates me in medicine is people come in and they don't want to make any changes with their diet at all. They 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 just say, "Oh, doc, just give me the pill. I just want my rheumatoid arthritis to go away." And I say to them, "Like it's it's not that simple. Like the the way that we really work on healing is like focusing on the gut and really focusing on the foods you're eating and like all those things." And so. I love that aspect about Ayurveda because it, it's just, it's so important for people to understand that diet is really the, the true foundation for health. Yeah. You can't, you can't run anywhere. And I'm not somebody that has like my patients on 20 supplements. If I have somebody who comes in on 20 supplements, I'm like, you're not sleeping well and you're not eating well. Right. So let's first start there. And, you know, I'm lucky at this point, cause I went through the same thing when I first started, but now like people really know if they're going to come see me, they're not going to be like, I don't want to change my diet. They're coming to see me because they're like, go ahead. You know, you're the surgeon, like go ahead and excise like all of my bad habits, you know, from my life. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned uh, liver cleanse on that one rheumatoid arthritis patient. I'm curious what other sort of detox or, or what's known in Ayurveda as panchakarma type therapies you use. 
Oh, gosh. Have you ever gone for Panchakarma, Drew? I have not, and I really would like to. But you and your wife are going to have to put that on your bucket list, and I will absolutely help you to find the right place. Um, I really recommend going to India, although there's wonderful places in America also. But um, Panchakarma is a detoxification theory that is so unique to Ayurvedic medicine. And many people are surprised when they're having it that it's such a powerful detox because it's enjoyable. You know, it's a different series of like um, different kinds of massages or other types of treatments. You know, sometimes we're using steam. Sometimes we're applying like oil into the nose. There's a variety of different treatments that we use. But one of the reasons it's so powerful is there's a lot of oils often used and it helps to remove the lipophilic or fat loving toxins from the body. And these are the hardest toxins to get out. We usually remove less than 1% of these a year. And these are the toxins that once they get into our fat cells, they just, they are endocrine disruptors. And even when you do like a cleanse at home, usually you're getting rid of the water soluble toxins. You do not access these. So panchakarma is something that, you know, I definitely recommend for everybody annually if they have a chronic disease, but I, I do it every single year just as health maintenance. And, you know, we've done studies looking at how panchakarma has removed up to 50% of lipophilic toxins in the course of seven to 14 days. And I mean, that's just unheard of. And so, you know, one of the fastest ways to rejuvenate the bodies is just getting rid of all of these environmental toxins that we're um, absorbing through the plastics, through, you know, just all of the man-made or human-made chemicals that we have now incorporated. So it's an ex it's a profoundly transformative treatment. And if you're lucky enough to include this as part of your overall health maintenance, um, you're you're, you're going to reduce the amount of disease that you experience over a lifetime, but you're also just going to age better. In a typical panchakarma, what would last seven to 14 days? Or is that, what would you say? Yeah, that's typical. I usually recommend 21 days, especially if you're going to go to India. I go, look, you're going to India anyways. But 21 days is, there's, there's something about a 21-day cycle. And you've probably heard about this too, but there's something about 21 days where you start to release cellular memory. And so usually mm. like the first week of panchakarma is all the physical clearing. The second week of panchakarma, and this is usually when everybody wants to leave because it's all of the toxic emotions and thoughts that come up and people really start to feel like they're losing their mind a little bit because they it's all the stuff you don't want to deal with and suddenly you're faced with it. And then the third week is kind of like the magical week where, okay, you've, you've processed so much physical and mental toxins and your body really starts to like pull the herbs that are given in the treatments like deeper into the tissues and that's where the regeneration happens so when, when i go i typically do 21 days for that reason and do most people lose weight during that time yes yes now if you're underweight you won't lose weight. i've had people that were worried like i used to be very very underweight like you know as a teenager and in my 20s and I would always go for panchakarma and I'd actually gain weight because my tissues were getting nourished. Um, oh, but, you know, wow. now when I go, especially like, you know, once you get into your late 40s and 50s, like there's a certain amount of just kind of fluid weight that you can't get rid of. And, you know, that kind of just uh, hormonal weight that just it'll accumulate in certain spots. And when I go for panchakarma, that's just like gone. It's so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Well, and this is kind of a, is a side question here, but when you're in the States compared to living in India, I mean, mm -hmm. number one, how much is your diet changing? And number two, 
where do you feel better? Oh my gosh, Drew, this is such a good question. <laughs> this is a this is a question that my husband and I talk about regularly because I really am. I have a bicontinental um, life now. So fortunately, my my diet doesn't change too much just simply because it's very, very plant um, rich. I have mm-hmm. a very high fiber diet. And again, something critical for hormonal balance in today's world. Um, so the vegetables kind of change, but like the overall, you know, like what I'm eating in a day doesn't change. You know, there are certain things like especially the spiritual tradition of India and the degree of flexibility and resilience you need in India that I just absolutely love. And there it's just like you can go, you know, meditation and all of that. I mean, that's that's like the land where it originated from. So you can be around masters that just they take you so deeply within yourself. But it's a still it's a third world country and I'm still a woman and I'm a foreign woman, even though I'm Indian, I'm considered a foreign woman. Mm -hmm. So my life there is very restricted. I can't walk out by myself. It's not safe. I can't travel by myself. I will never have like the same say that a man has in my position. And people think that's true in America. It doesn't even compare to India. So there's certain aspects of India that I just absolutely love, but I'm like, it is a third world country and it's still sorting a lot of stuff out. And there's a lot of poverty. And usually when there's poverty, Poverty affects women differently than it affects men. And so when I come to America, I feel just this total expansion in terms of my career, my creativity, you know, so it's, it's so liberating because I can drive myself anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I kind of go back to being like me, but then there's certain things that I deeply miss about the deep, you know, spiritual tradition of India. So I just feel very fortunate that I, I am an American woman that gets to have this very intimate relationship with India. And it's just, it's a very blessed position to be. Oh, that's great. That's great. I think when you have that comparison, it's uh, sometimes you can be in the position of looking at where you're at and saying, oh, the grass is greener, right? Let's go over this area. But you actually realize that where you are now can be a very, you know, great place to be. Well, for our wellness wisdom segment, if you had one simple pearl of wisdom with regard to using Ayurvedic practices in daily life, what would that be? Oh, that's a that's a wonderful question. And that's really easy. I think um, people oftentimes think that in order to get healthier, they have to do something huge. And like they have to give up their life, you know, sell their children, get rid of their spouse, quit their job. And what I have found about Ayurvedic medicine is that The emphasis is so much on doing something simple on a daily basis and that when you do something simple on a daily basis, you know, some positive health habit that the benefits that you accumulate from that are more powerful than trying to do like a one week getaway, you know, that it's just those simple things that you do every single day, you know, going to bed so that you get one extra hour of sleep every single day, going for a walk for 30 minutes choosing just one meal a day that is healthy, that those are actually the gold nuggets, you know, for a lifetime of health. Beautiful. So simple. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. And yes, I will take you up on that offer to perhaps meet you over in India with my wife and we will do a Panchakarma. You got it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a standing offer for whenever you come. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. That's our show for today, folks. 
If you have a question or an idea for a show topic, please send us an email or share a post with us on Facebook. And remember, if you like what you heard today and you want to be an active member of the Be Healthistic community, subscribe to our podcast at BeHealthisticPodcast.com or on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your favorites. You can also find more great content and information from us and the Healthy Directions team at HealthyDirections.com. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Dr. Drew Sinatra, and this is Be Healthistic. Thanks for listening to Be Healthistic, powered by our friends at Healthy Directions with Drs. Drew and Steve Sinatra. See you next time.